Hey, I want to start with a little thought experiment. So, a church today is considered a megachurch if it has an attendance of 2,000 people or more, right? So, 2,000 people, that's a megachurch. But what if the average attendance of churches across the board was 5,000 people, right? Would we still consider that church of 2,000 to be a megachurch? No, right? <laughs> we would think of it as a small church. We would say, what, only 2,000 people? right? Now let's go the other way. So my first ordained position was as an associate pastor in a small Presbyterian church in Union, Kentucky, about 20 minutes south of Cincinnati. If you're familiar with that part of the world and you've seen the Florence Yall Water Tower, right? That's that's where I'm talking about. That was our exit. So small Presbyterian church in Union, Kentucky. And by small, what I mean is that we had an average attendance of about 125. So here's the question. Do you today consider a church with an average attendance of 125 people to be a small church? Well, there's a good chance that you might be thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could go back to the days of having 125 people in church, right? The reality is our perception of church attendance has changed, hasn't it? Especially since we've come out of COVID, well, in today's episode, I'm talking with Tom Rayner, a, a name that you might be familiar with. Um, we're talking today not about a book that he wrote, but about an article that he wrote not too long ago in which he said that we need to rethink how we categorize churches now that the median church size is 65, right? meaning that 50% of churches in the U.S. have fewer than 65 people in church every Sunday. So, what does this decline mean, and how should we lead in this kind of strange new world that we're living in? I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 153 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Hey everyone, uh, I'm here with Tom Rayner. Tom is the CEO of Church Answers and also the author of many books, uh, including his soon-to-be-released, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. Hi, Tom. How are you doing today? Great. Good to be with you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, uh, just kind of tell us briefly uh, what you do. Well, that's a, that is a complex <laughs> question that I'll try to oh. get a simple answer to. Uh, I our, our organization helps churches become healthier, and we help church leaders mm. become better leaders. So mm. that is a synopsis of what we do. But I do a lot of writing. Our yeah. company does a lot of consulting. Uh, in the yeah. past, I've uh, pastored four churches. I served as dean of a seminary for 12 years, and I was CEO of a company called Lifeway for 12 okay. years as well. Mm. And so now this is my new era of ministry and life. Ah, that's great. And uh, and you mentioned before we started recording, your your new book coming out soon will be book number 39. That's, that's right. Uh, that's pretty amazing. That's right. Amazing. first one was released yeah. in 1989, so it shows you how old wow. I am. Wow. I was a senior in high school. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say yeah. that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, anyway, um, so I want to start just with kind of a fun little get to know you question, and that's just what was your first job? First job was uh, selling, not selling, handing out flyers for our only movie theater in town. Mm. And uh, it was, we, we had two movies a week. It was one screen theater. And so twice a week I would hand out flyers. I think I was nine huh. years old and wow. I would hand out flyers. And 
I started off with one bag of popcorn and free admission for my pay for the week. Hmm. And eventually I got up to $2 a week. And so I felt wow. like I was very wealthy. Wow. That was my first job. And then as a teenager, uh, first a little more meaningful job, I was a teller in a bank. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's good. Um, That'd be a fun job. I mean, getting free movies and popcorn <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I walked yeah. many miles yeah. to get that free movie and popcorn. Oh, I'm so well, smart. yeah. I'm not right. so sure how smart right. I was to do that. <laughs> well, good for you. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to have a conversation kind of revolving around an article that you wrote uh, for your blog not too long ago, um, uh, in the last couple of months or so, and it's titled mm-hmm. The New Very Large Church. Um and um, as I was telling you before we started recording, I've talked about this uh, quite a bit um, just in my conversations with people. Um, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an interim pastor at a church, and so I've talked with our elders, I've talked with our staff, I've shared it, uh, some of the stuff from that article with our in, in a sermon with our congregation. And um, and in fact, just for our listeners, um, Todd Bolsinger and I, Todd Bolsinger and I. Um, uh, who's uh, executive director for the Church Leadership Institute, we recorded a, a little quick conversation. We do every other week a quick conversation episode, and we talked about that article. It's episode 150, um, titled The New Normal of Church Attendance. And so um, I want to talk with you kind of about what you have gleaned from the research that Lifeway Research did, and just kind of unpack uh, what that means for the church today. And so... Um, so um, I have the article in front of me. Should I give the statistics or do you want to give those statistics just to kind of frame the conversation? You go in any direction uh, you want, Mark. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and, and name the statistics and then we'll we'll unpack that. That would be great. So um, here's what you said in your article, um, drawing on the research from Lifeway, um, that, um, that those with uh, under 50 people in attendance are now considered smaller churches. Uh, 51 to 99, and this is attendance across the board, including Sunday school and children, are now mid-sized churches. 100 to 249 uh, are large churches, and 250 and above are larger churches. And then, of course, there are still mega churches, but anything over 250 are now larger, not just large, but larger churches. Anyway, I just thought that was so fascinating. And this is new since the pandemic, really. And so maybe you can just kind of help us uh, get a sense of what's going on here. What's uh, what is this? What does this all mean? Well, from a purely statistical point of view, you're you're looking at now that only eight percent of churches in the United States are above two hundred and fifty in attendance. That to me is one of the most remarkable pieces of data. Or another way to look at it, ninety two percent are under two hundred and fifty in yeah. attendance. So yeah. when we start looking at the churches across America, across North America in particular. We're seeing that most churches are smaller, at least Mm -hmm. in a perception of what they used to be. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of churches are smaller than they've used to be. And you say, well, what has happened? Well, the trends were already taking place. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing that we've got to say. The churches in America were already experiencing declining attendance. So that's point number one. Then came the pandemic. The pandemic did not cause the declines, but they exacerbated the declines and they exposed the rate of decline even more. So Hmm. if if your church was declining at an almost imperceptible rate of, say, 1% a year, and Mm -hmm. then out of the pandemic, you've lost 20 or 30% of your people, that's noticeable. Hmm. And so Hmm. the pandemic 
opened our eyes to, okay, these are, this is what would have been 10 years from now, but it's now. Okay. Then the question is what happened? Well, we know pretty well what happened Hmm. there. If if you look at any church, there's a group of core committed, and then there is the cultural and the cultural refers to those who are a part of the church in attendance they may mm-hmm. be Christian, but probably in name only, but they, mm-hmm. they, they want to be identified as a Christian and or a church member. And it may be for cultural mm-hmm. reasons in their neighborhood. It may be for business or political reasons. They want to be identified. Now, you're in San Diego, yeah. and that would have been a smaller yeah. number than, say, right. Birmingham, Alabama, but still cultural right. Christianity existed sure. in all places around the United States. What yeah. happened is... The pandemic gave the cultural Christians, and that's an oxymoron in itself, Hmm. they gave Mm -hmm. the cultural Christians permission no longer to identify or attend a church. So you lost that large swath of people who were going for identity purposes or cultural reasons, and those, for the most part, have not returned. There's a second group. The second group are those whose attendance rate declined. Let's say mm. let's let's go to your church of uh, forty in attendance, Marcus, and mm. let's let's say that you have forty church members and everybody is there every Sunday. Yeah. Your attendance yeah. is forty. Okay, right. let's say that your members decide to start attending every other week. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, your attendance is twenty, but you right. haven't lost a person. You still have right. pastoral responsibility for forty, even though only twenty right. are in attendance. The mm. second major development in the pandemic was commitment declined even among mm. the more committed Christians and their mm. attendance rate. It may have gone from three times a month to two a month to one a month. That is one of the yeah. primary reasons that we're seeing the decline take place. Yeah. Um, boy, that's all just in, incredibly fascinating. I mean, on the one hand, but also, uh, well, eye-opening, maybe somewhat discouraging, and something to, I guess the main thing is it's something that we need to learn from, right? We need to learn from, okay, here's what's here's the reality. The reality is um, those who were never fully committed have stopped going. Those who were pretty committed are going a little bit less, at least, are, are, or are a little bit less committed, perhaps. Um, right. <clears throat> and so, oh, I think you look like you're about to say something. I'm not. You go right ahead. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I, I think maybe maybe the uh, video hiccuped. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. So, um, yeah. So, I guess the question then is, uh, what now? You know, um, uh, a, a few possible angles, I guess, to approach this. First of all, what did we do wrong, or did we? Um, and now that this is our new reality, what do we what do we do with this? Another question is, um, I, I think one of the challenges for pastors. And those who are faithfully engaged is wow, this is so discouraging. Um, and, and maybe we beat ourselves up a little bit about this. Um, also, new skills to learn if we're a smaller church than we used to be. So uh, maybe let's start just by kind of asking the question, what what happened? I mean, you, you've already unpacked a little bit about what happened, but do, what do we need to do now differently than maybe we did before? Do you have any thoughts on that? A lot of them. A lot more thoughts than this podcast will allow time-wise. Okay. <laughs> uh, one, one, one of the questions that uh, is often asked of us is, 
what do we do about those who've left? If I have, mm-hmm. a, if if I had a church with attendance of two hundred and it's cut in half to a hundred, do I go find? Do I spend my time trying to reach the hundred who left, or do I work on maybe more of a new Great Commission emphasis to those who have never attended? Mm-hmm. Now, here's something you need to the church leaders need to realize. If your attendance went from 200 to 100, you didn't lose 100 people. They're not gone. Some are. But remember, a significant number of them are just attending less frequently. So one of the things is you're not going after people who are not there anymore. You are trying to ask the question, how do I get them more committed than they were? So yeah, that's yeah. that you know that's that's question number 1 what do we do about those who have gone mm-hmm. question number 2 what do we do about those who aren't here at all yeah. well over 91% of churches in America in our last study at church answers over 91% of our churches had no significant emphasis on great commission obedience at all during mm-hmm. the course of a year mm-hmm. So if nine out of 10 churches are not trying to reach people with the gospel, there's probably a good chance that they aren't going to be reached with the gospel. Now, that is so profound. I know that that's just one of the most profound statements that I can make, but that's the reality. Churches have gotten uh, inwardly focused, Mm. more focused on me, myself, and I than looking beyond the doors of the church. Here's here's one thing we, we, we encourage all churches to do. First thing is, do you really know your community? Do you Mm. really know who is your community? We have a resource called Know Your Community, same name. Mm. And one of the things we say is, uh, tell us, for example, uh, what is a typical drive time to your church? If you you were Mm. to include 80% of all people who are in your church on a regular basis, what would be their drive time? Not the outliers. And typically, it may be different in a populated area like San Diego, but typically it's about a 15 minute drive time. And so Mm -hmm. we say, who's in that drive time? Okay. What are the needs? What are the psychographics? How can we reach them? The question becomes, how can we reach our community? So that's one of the next questions we ask. Hmm. That's great. Um, Yeah. I think one of the things that this has done, at least for me, um, is that it has um, clarified for me that, um, not that Sunday morning isn't important um, or whenever our churches might gather sometimes Sunday afternoon, Saturday night, whatever it is. It's not Mm -hmm. that that isn't important, but that's not enough, right? That's not the only thing that we're called. We're not just, the church doesn't exist, exist just to get people to show up on Sunday morning. The church exists to bring God's healing and wholeness and salvation into the world to bring God's, I like to use the word Shalom, right? Shalom meaning, uh, well-being in terms of our relationship with God, that's salvation, well-being with each other, well-being with uh, all of creation and well-being with our own uh, our own selves and and the the healing that God brings when we find ourselves to be God's beloved, but that hasn't been it seems to me that hasn't been uh, the church's I'm generalizing here, but focus, it's been how do we get people to show up on Sunday morning. And um uh, I'll, I'll throw out an, an example. The last church that I was at, um, I was guest preaching there before I became their interim pastor, and uh, I, I met with them a couple times just to kind of, you know, bounce ideas around, pick my brain a little bit. And they said, "How do we get people to come to church on Sunday?" And I was like, "Well, what else do you do besides Sunday morning?" And they said, "Well, it's a very small church, rural community, um, farm, farm uh, agricultural area. Like, oh, not nothing really." And 
And then a few months later, they started this food pantry for a community that lots of food insecurity, and it brought this church to life because all of a sudden mm. they realized, oh, this is why we're here. We're not here just to gather on Sunday mornings, as important as that is. We're also here to bring um, spiritual and physical nourishment to the people that live around us. Um, mm -hmm. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about in terms of what we're called to now? Uh, that's part of it. Uh, mm -hmm. There, there, there's a challenge in in this, and mm -hmm. part of the challenge is that. Uh, let me give you the more common phrase that we've heard among church members and church leaders. We hear quite often uh, the, the the church is people; it is not a building. Okay, mm, yeah. that is theologically sound. That is a perfect statement, but it's yeah. often used as a rationale not to put an emphasis on the gathered church. And mm -hmm. so there is a balance in scripture that we must follow. And that balance is we are to be the church gathered. The writer mm -hmm. of Hebrew told us not to neglect the assembling of the saints. All of Paul's letters focused on a local church that was gathering regularly. Mm -hmm. The New Testament from Acts 2 to Revelation 3 is either about a local church that gathered or is written in that context. So we're not to neglect the gathering but the, right. as, as you said, it is not just the church gathered. It is the church right. going. So no, yes. the church is not the building, and it is to reach beyond the walls, and it is to be the body of Christ outside of the building, but it's also mm -hmm. be, to be the gathered church in whatever place that may be, a building, a field, a community center, whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. So yeah. it is a balance, and we got to make sure that we don't go from one extreme yeah. to the other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, and and I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because um yeah because if we're not gathering then we're also not going because we're not um we're not the people of God together in on mission um yes um I think one of the challenges of this declining declined attendance is the discouragement that we can sometimes feel often feel um. And uh, I, I don't know, I guess maybe an open-ended question, but what would you say to those pastors who do feel very discouraged in, in, in this time? Uh, that it is a reality. So the first thing that we do is we admit that there's a lot of challenges. We have a number of pastors who are dropping out of uh, vocational ministry. Mm -hmm. we, have, yeah. we have pastors that are wondering if they're going to stay. We have pastors who were full-time compensated now are part-time or maybe not even compensated at all. And so mm -hmm. we do have those issues around us that could be discouraging. I, quite the contrary, Marcus, am an obnoxious optimist about the local church. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that we are presented with us one of the greatest opportunities ever. Most of our church members and our leaders do not realize this, despite the secular culture shifting in a way that is very anti-Christian to our values, we are finding receptivity to Christianity and to simple invitations to church are mm. higher than ever. Mm. So we, 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 we look at what is happening around us in our culture and we say, oh, they hate us. They hate the church. They, they, they have no biblical values and they may not have any biblical values, but in the midst yeah. of this, there's this incredible desire among many non-Christians to connect with Christians that they don't know they have. We did mm -hmm. a, we did a test and it's, it's, it's a few years old, so it's not post pandemic, 
but we did a test where we sent people out to churches across the nation to simply invite some. We didn't send them out. They were already at churches across the nation, and we, we identified them. And, and we asked them to go invite someone. And so we, mm-hmm. here's what we said to them. When you invite them to church, tell them that you're going to meet them and walk into the church building with them. Mm-hmm. Just simple as that. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. tell them just, hey, I wish you'd come to our church. <clears throat> yeah. Of the nine Christians unchurched, Seventy-seven percent came. I mean, wow. these are people who were not in church. Seventy-seven percent responded. Wow. Now, is that number lower post-pandemic? Well, certainly the trajectory of culture mm. would be more mm-hmm. antithetical to Christian values, but we're mm. still finding a great deal of receptivity. So, what are we saying? We are very much in a first century time where culture is opposed to Christianity, but gospel opportunities are greater than ever. So Mm. now we have before us the possibility of reaching more people, I think, than we may have at any point in American history anyway. Yeah. Uh, Do you find – so I – you know, I grew up with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and sharing the four spiritual laws and um, <clears throat> got pretty good at it. Um, since then, um, you know, Campus Crusade has changed their name to Crew and um, changed the booklet a little bit, I think. Um, but um, when I was in college, so the early 90s, I uh, uh, you, you could talk about Jesus and kind of have a baseline for conversation and I think that's less the case now. And so I wonder, um, I mean, that. so I guess the question is, you know, what do, we, what do we do with that? Are there some creative ways to connect with people where there may not be a baseline? Or does it, you know, what, where, where, where do we start, perhaps, if you have any thoughts on that? We start with probably one of the key areas that we were taught by Jesus, and it's mm. relational. That does not mm. mean we never articulate a gospel, but people yeah. are more attracted to Christ in us than the words we yeah. tell them. At some yeah. point, we cannot be silent. And as uh, Peter and John would say, I believe in Acts 4.20, we cannot help but speak of those things which we have seen and heard. So we mm-hmm. have to speak of these things. But what people are attracted to is a Christianity that is lived out in someone where they begin to ask the questions and you can establish a baseline pretty quickly once they start Mm -hmm. asking the questions. So Mm -hmm. one one of the things that we did uh, as a major beta test across the country with churches, we we asked churches to go through a 30-day period where, let's say if you have a church of 40 or 50, you ask 10 people to go through this. And for 30 days, we gave them uh, suggested prayers, a few suggested actions, but basically it was turning their heart into a great commission, praying and going hard. Mm-hmm. That's what was the purpose behind the 30 days. Mm-hmm. At the end of 30 days in these beta tests, we saw churches turn from non-evangelistic to evangelistic just within 30 days. It was not a silver mm-hmm. bullet, but it was a change of mindset with these church members who had always yeah. had an inward focus and now moving outward. Yeah. All I'm saying on this is the bottom line is, yes, the culture is anti-Christian. Yes, mm. the challenges are greater from understanding who God is, who Christ is, what the baseline yeah. is. But I'm also saying that the opportunities are greater mm. than ever. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. think otherwise. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, uh, I want to kind of go back to the 
the challenge of smaller churches again in terms of the the pastor's role and if you have any thoughts on uh, so um you know there are different skills uh for leading different sized churches i think um and so i, I guess maybe again the, the uh, just to ask the question have you noticed or do, are you aware of or do you know of what what kinds of what kinds of skills do those you know if they if there was a 500 person church and now they're down to 250 or you know a uh, 400 and now they're down to 150 um are there new skills that pastors and leaders need to learn as they lead these now smaller churches well for, first of all Lyle Schaller way back in the oh gosh 70s maybe even 60s I mean, I'm I'm 67 years old, so I'm even dating myself by going mm-hmm. back that that far. But Lyle Schaller became pretty famous uh, by referring to uh, pastors in larger churches as ranchers and pastors in smaller churches as shepherds. Mm. I'm I, I understand Lyle Schaller mm-hmm. was one of the most brilliant men I've ever known, but I, I'm not so sure that I fully. Uh, I mean, aligned with that, because mm. my understanding is every pastor is to be a shepherd and you cannot neglect mm. the role of shepherding. However, mm-hmm. the faster, the more people you have, the more you have to focus on Ephesians quipping, equipping, and you mm-hmm. have to make certain that more people are doing the work of ministry because yeah. uh, your church of 40, Marcus, if it grows 30 more people in attendance, it's going uh-huh. to get to the point where you cannot minister to them because your 40 mm-hmm. in attendance probably means you have 80 to 100 that you're already right. shepherding. Right. And right. so That's true. it'll get to the point where if there's much more growth, you cannot do it all, but you're, you're yeah. a shepherd, but you become a shepherd to other shepherds at that point. Yeah. Um, as he, as it grows, as it grows. Um, and, but as it declines, then um, I, I suppose they have to get used to maybe, uh, shepherding everyone as opposed to shepherding the shepherds, um, which also is an adaptation, so to speak. And, you know, I guess we, we trust the Lord to help us do that, <laughs> to help us do but that. It's, but, it's um, all, but, it, but it's all shepherding. Uh, yeah, there, there's yeah, a season yeah. where you can shepherd everyone. There then becomes right. a season, if growth takes place, where you cannot, right. if decline takes right. place, you're able to do so again. Yeah. So yeah. you're putting on the shepherd hat. It is not a matter of changing roles as much as it is changing who the sheep are under your yeah. shepherding domain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's great. I really love that you sh- that you said that. Um, um, uh, one of the challenges of being a smaller church is fewer resources, um, and um, you know, and and for me, you know, uh, when I was uh, a young, well, youth pastor, I was in a big church, you know, fifteen hundred to two thousand people, and then I was uh, an associate pastor at a smaller church of two hundred people, and then my I've been on a downward trajectory, <laughs> my, my career, Congratulations. And, uh, then a church of a senior pastor of a hundred people, and now a uh, pastor of about forty to 50, yeah, well, maybe eighty. I'll call it eighty people if they're all there on the same Sunday, but um, right. anyway, about forty people, right? Um, and um, and there there are fewer resources, which does sort of force you to be more creative. I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, when you've got a lot of resources, then, you know, you can just hire somebody to take care of it. Um, uh, or, you know, or you, you've got enough, at least enough people with enough skills in the congregation. And that, it, that, that gets harder as you get 
smaller, right? To you can't hire things out and you can't sometimes wow, we need someone who's good at buildings and grounds and nobody here's good at that or whatever, you know? <laughs> so uh, do you, have you ever worked with anyone and kind of helped them to navigate those kinds of challenges? When we are obedient in our Great Commission responsibility, hmm. our churches will eventually see one or more persons become followers of Christ and connect with our church. Yeah. Let me tell you about that person who is now in your church. They don't hmm. care how great your music is. They don't care how, cu- how, how closely the shrubs are cut. They don't mm. care if it is not a perfectly seeker-friendly or even a guest-friendly place. They were, they were led to Christ or they became followers mm. of Christ, and mm-hmm. they're going to stick with that church because that's the church where they found Christ. Yeah. We begin to get frustrated about resources when we cannot, and I use this with air quotes, when we cannot compete with the larger mm-hmm. churches and all that they have. Mm-hmm. Smaller churches yeah. don't have to and shouldn't. The smaller churches have all that they need. And when they start yeah. reaching people, those people are not going to be uh, saying, we need a bigger youth choir. Or, now, youth choir is probably anachronistic, <laughs> but we, 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 need, we need these programs, whatever. Right, They're going right. to be there because they are excited about what Christ yeah. is doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My first church was seven. And I was, I w- that's, that was the membership. Well, yeah. membership may have been bad, higher, but there's only seven mm-hmm. living people. So mm-hmm. the, the, the wow. maximum potential was seven. And wow. I, I got to tell you, the first person that came to Christ was a guy by the name of Steve and eventually another lady by the name of Bert. And those two people transform that little church because they Mm. found Christ in the context of that church. Mm. We have an opportunity in smaller churches to say, you know, these resources that we think we need, well, these new Christians say, we've got everything we need and everything Mm. that this church is. So I would, I would not, I would not be discouraged at all. Although I know it is a natural Mm. thing to do, especially when we get in the comparison game. That's right. It's a it's a trust building experience for sure. You know, uh, trusting that God's going to provide what we need, um, and uh, maybe in ways that we don't always expect, or just from right. unexpected places. Yeah, and it's uh, and it then and then what a what an encouraging uh, faith building experience when when we do right when that resource or when when that expertise or whatever or that that need is fulfilled, and uh, and then we're able to. To do the work that God calls us to do. And keep in mind, with the median size of a church in North America, worship attendance, including kids, being 65, Mm -hmm. that's the median. So 50% are larger, 50% are smaller. Uh, If you're in one of those smaller churches, guess what? Welcome to the rest of the congregations in North America. Of the 350,000 to 400,000, most (laughs) of them are just like yours. And really, that is the reality of how churches have been on our continent for most of the history until mm. the baby boomers started really becoming a factor in the larger churches and some yeah. of the mega churches. Yeah. Now that we baby boomers are fading off the scene and do not either have the influence or even the presence anymore because we're no longer alive, that is not going to be the type of church that is going to be mm. a typical or normal church in America. It is even not yeah. today. Most yeah. people do not realize that it has been 15 years now where mega churches in America have remained at the same number. They have hmm. not, we have not increased the number for 15 wow. years. We wow. have this perception that there are more and more mega churches. Nope. Hmm. 
uh, churches hmm. averaging over 2,000 attendants are the same number by count as they were 15 years ago. The movement wow. is smaller churches. That's fascinating. And, and I, Especially I think that's for so someone in to- Southern California. Well, true, right? We got a couple of mega churches here, but um, but yeah, you're totally right. And and what's you know, it's encouraging to hear you say that because, um, you know, I mean the the culture says bigger is better. You know, bigger companies, bigger movie theaters, bigger bigger whatever. You know, bigger concerts, everything bigger is better. And smaller means well, you must not be very good at what you do, or you must not be very successful. Um, but that's not true. I mean, right. Jesus had 12 guys <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and the early church started with those 12, right? It was, it was small. And, and it, of course, or even, even the, church, 11. Yeah, or the 11 or the 11. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you. Um, but those churches that Paul started were not mega churches, right? There was no sense that we have to be as big as possible. We just be the people of God and invite people to join us in this uh in this life right that jesus brought and um and brings and um and you can do that with happening culturally mm -hmm. is that smaller and neighborhood churches are now becoming they're they're on a comeback in fact my son sam Mm -hmm. has a book coming out this fall Mm -hmm. about the comeback of the neighborhood church about churches Mm -hmm. that represent a community so contrary to the trends that are saying everything has been moving larger culture has been moving more boutique Culture has been moving to a desire to be in a smaller place, and yeah. the the pandemic exacerbated that desire and trend. Yeah, 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 and uh, and and so the invitation is just to say, okay, Lord, here's where we are, and you're with us in this right now. Um, right. We don't have to we don't have to try to go back to what it was. We can be who we are called to be in 2023, right? Uh, with the reality that we're living in and, and live faithfully and, um, yeah. And, and, and be, be the salt and light in the world, whether we're 2000 or 20. And, um, I think that's, that's I think right. That's exciting. Yeah. That's right. Tom, thank you so much. This was, uh, this was great. And, uh, Again, I, I really love the article, and I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you or find out more about the work that you're doing, where can folks go? Churchanswers.com. Churchanswers.com. Awesome. Yep. Lots of resources there. I'm not going to get into all of them, but uh, we do, we're do. we working now. We're connected somehow with yeah. uh, they're, they're about... 350,000 churches in North America and about 250,000 of them connect with us somehow wow. every year. So we, that's we we are connecting with a lot of churches. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, um, thanks so much for uh, the work that you're doing. Um, thanks for all the stuff that I have learned over the years from you through your articles and books. And um, uh, just thanks for being here today. All right, Mark, it's great to be with you. Well, churches are in decline. Right? There's no denying it. Uh, but I love Tom's obnoxious optimism about the church. His words, right? His words. Now, will churches forever remain smaller than they used to be? Well, nothing is forever. But my guess is that it will be a long time before there is significant growth. Of course, I could be wrong. That's just my guess. But however long it takes, and however long our churches tend to be smaller than they used to be, that does not mean that our churches have to be ineffective, Right? Because God is with us. God will provide just what we need to fulfill God's mission of shalom for the world. And that's pretty encouraging to me. 
Uh, Of course, the challenge remains. And so uh, the Church Leadership Institute wants to help you as you lead through these very challenging times. And so I want to invite you to sign up for the Church Leadership Institute newsletter, uh, where you will regularly hear from our executive director, Todd Bolsinger, and you'll receive all kinds of helpful resources each month. You can sign up for the, the, the newsletter by going to depreorg slash church. That's D-E-P-R-E-E dot org slash church. And then finally, uh, if you have found this episode helpful, would you share it with someone you know? Uh, and we would also be really grateful if you would rate and review the podcast. That just makes the podcast more findable for others. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Spiritual Life and Leadership